0: Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to Rethink, a podcast where we revisit past articles from the University of Malta's Think magazine. Looking at the pioneering work being done at the university, we catch up with the researchers to see how far they have come since they appeared in the magazine. This time, we're inviting you to listen to a bonus episode recorded at a Think Soapbox event on the 8th of October 2019, where some of the magazine's contributors discuss the wider implications of their research in an informal setting. My name is Chris, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Diver.
1: Hello. For the bonus episode, we wanted to take you back to a lively discussion we had at Maori Bar in Valletta, where academics from the University of Malta and our guests from Esplora Interactive Science Centre discuss topics that concern most of us today, traffic, destruction of animals' habitats, cancer research, and living with technology in our daily lives. Today, we selected two topics for you, and you will hear our guests talking about their research on technology and environmental issues. You will also have a chance to listen to them responding to questions from the audience. Our first guest is Rebecca Buttigieg, science coordinator at Explora, who is convinced that children can and should learn to code. Um, yes.
2: My name is Rebecca, and I'm not here because I am a researcher. I'm here because I make researchers. Yeah. <laughs> I help to inspire the kids who will be standing on this box in about 20 years' time. I work at Explora Interactive Science Center, and our big mission is to ha- encourage more and more people to take up STEM careers, science, technology, engineering, and maths. But life is too short to say that over and over, so we say STEM. <laughs> Um, Thanks for having me tonight, and I'd like to talk about coding because it's what was was on my mind as we were preparing this year's educational program. But I'll start with my parents. When my parents became young adults around 1970, shopping in Malta was very different than it is now. There was no online shopping because online hadn't been invented yet. No, didn't get a laugh. I tried. Um, Okay, got one. When my mom didn't find the clothes she wanted in shops, because either they weren't there or they were too expensive, my mom would bust out the sewing machine and make them. And when my dad didn't find the furniture he wanted to house his hi-fi equipment, he went to his workshop and he made it. My dad wasn't a professional carpenter and my mom wasn't a professional seamstress, but they were makers and they just made the stuff that they wanted to have. Maybe not to the quality that you would sell, but they were happy with what they had, and it was tailored exactly to them. What do you make? Speaking for myself, I imagine many of you are like me, and I run my life from one of these. I even have to do my banking now on it. My bank actually shut down the whole token thing. I have to bank through my phone. Entertainment comes through our phones. Um, We record our lives on our phones, we take photos, we use social media, sometimes we even use them to make phone calls. (laughs) But what do you do when there isn't an app for what you want to do with your phone? Do you know how to make apps for your phone? You could. All the stuff is there for you to do it. This year at Explora, we have introduced coding, not just for children as young as five, but for children as young as three. Three-year-olds are learning important things. They're learning how to wipe their bottom after they do a poo. They are learning how to negotiate when Michael hogs all the red crayons. And it's not too young for them to learn the foundations of coding, which is going to be so important for their lives, even more than for ours. And my dad just coded his Raspberry Pi at the ripe old age of 69 to act as a media server for his hi-fi. So you're not too young, and you're not too old. Anyone can, uh, can code. And yes, his hi-fi is housed in a custom-made cabinet he made himself. <laughs> Thank you.
1: Do you have questions for Rebecca? I'm curious as to how you're teaching three-year-olds to code. Um, we're
2: using the cutest robot you ever saw. <laughs> it is a little snail. It's really, really cute. And there's no screens involved. Kids use puzzle pieces to make a path, and this robot has a sensor on the bottom. It reads each puzzle piece as it goes, and the puzzle piece tells it what to do. Like Some of the pieces say go forward, or turn, or change color, or do a dance. It's really cute. It's, um, my son is just 10, 7, and illiterate, and he's using Scratch Junior, which doesn't require the use of words. It's all graphical, and he's making his own movies, and programming it and recording himself. And he's already planned a seven-part movie series.
1: And now let's hear Professor Engineer Kenneth Camilleri from the Department of Systems and Control Engineering. He and his team are working on eye-tracking technology, which uh, eventually will be able to tell where people are gazing on their screen. Let's see what he has to say.
3: Okay, so if looks could kill. You feel this expression, right? I look at you, I'm angry at you, and if looks could kill. And we attribute that to the eyes. Now, actually, actually it's not just the eyes. It's the whole face expression. But we say if looks could kill. And we kind of have this impression that the eyes are uh, almost lasers coming out at you. Well, what we're doing in uh, our team in the engineering faculty at the university is to look into how to build machines that can track the eye gaze. Why? Because, well there you are, if looks would kill. The eye gaze is so important. You're talking to someone over a beer and suddenly the other person looks across your shoulders. How do you know? from the angle of the eye sometimes, right? And what do you do? You turn back to see at what the other person is gazing at. We are immensely capable of recognizing where others look. Have you ever noticed how how, how capable we are? So if suddenly I were to look over there and uh, a couple of other people were to look over there, you would all turn and look over there. Okay? Well, it's it's um probably a survival uh, issue because uh, you know, if there's a, a predator coming along and we're looking at it, uh, we, our, our, our attention is grabbed by that, that, that object or whatever it is, well it's better that we know what's going on around us. Okay, so we're using other people as cues basically, right? So. Um, I, I can look around and see whether you're interested in what I'm, 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 I'm talking right at the moment, I'm, I'm, and what I'm, what I'm saying. If your eyes are wandering around, then, well, I'm, 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 I'm failing miserably. Well, if you're staring, just staring at one point, well, maybe it's not because I am failing miserably, but probably you've got some problems at home, or something on your mind. So I can even read your mind through your eyes. The point is that our eye gaze is so powerful. So what about if you can have a machine that can track our eye gazes um, unobtrusively, um, with no extra hanging equipment or anything flashing in your eyes, um, pervasively. Possibly even in this room, we could actually map out who's looking at whom, and when, and how, and in what manner, because even the the gestures we do with our eyes say a lot about us at that moment in time. It is a worthwhile endeavor to not just study, I guess. And I'm sure that people who are probably coming from the psychological side of things would be looking into this. um, And we know that there are many, many such studies. Um, But this time, it's the engineers' uh, turn uh, and the computer scientists who come in and try to build machines that can actually mimic our behavior and can actually understand um, what we're saying with our eyes. There are many, many reasons why why we do this. Because uh, if you can have a machine that can do this, you could have a machine that can actually uh, give you um, websites or information or move things around according to your attention or according to what you're looking for. Um, A lot of work has been done in the past and still ongoing about face expressions. Face expressions and eye gaze go together and help the machine understand your mood. Um, you know about Spotify, you know about many other uh, uh, apps that help to follow our mood and try and modulate the behavior according to our mood. We're moving in this, ha- in this age when machines are trying to um, be symbiotic with us. We don't just use machines, but we live with them and they live with us. Uh, what does the future hold in terms of our life with machines? Whether our machines are going to become so symbiotic with us that we won't even recognize the machines from humans. Sounds strange, but my 11-year-old son is already hooked with, with the computer. that He, qu- he doesn't distinguish uh, living with us or so the computer. And I'm always uh, uh, trying to get him off the computer. OK, how do we do this? Uh, a very brief technical point. The eye gaze is not just the eyes, but is the head. So I can look around. And with my head, you, you immediately see where I'm, where I'm gazing. So our work has to... Not only look at the eyes, but we look at the head pose, and we're using a, an interesting advanced vision algorithm. Which, uh, through the camera frames we are receiving, we can build a three dimensional model of the head and recognize the pose of the head, in which pose it is. Then we follow the irises, we'll build the irises back into the head, move the irises back, register them in the head to bring the eye gaze, the uh, not just the eye gaze, but the gaze of the person. Uh, build from the eye gaze and the head pose itself to get the gaze of the person. Any questions?
4: I'm not sure how far ahead you are with the project, but I know that there is some similar stuff before that I've seen when you were trying to do UI research. So like someone would sit in front of a website and would track where they're looking at the website and would flick back and forth and would say, where's the first point you do? Whereabouts are the ads? Where do you jump around? And where are the most highlightable spots? Is that a pretty similar research area that you're going down to, a pretty similar tech, or are you doing your own, or...? Um, the, the area airbag
3: checking has been around for quite a while now, and uh, it kind of took off very strongly commercially uh, about 10 years ago. Uh, it existed before, of course, right. but if you look at pay, even patents, it started growing exponentially at, uh, at around 2011-2012, roughly. Um, we started doing this work about 10-12 years ago. So we've got some quite a good legacy behind behind us here. Um, and you've got a mix in the in the industry. You've got you've got eye guess that have to use, and uh, those are the more robust that they that have to use an infrared illuminator to um, cause a glint on your eyes so that they can follow you follow you robustly. Uh, recent years there has been interest in removing this special equipment uh, and just having a camera looking at you. That introduces many difficulties and many challenges so you have to offload all the technology onto the algorithms uh, that have to follow uh, what, what's going on there. And there are many competing solutions out, out there. Um, the, the most challenging point I suppose today is getting, getting a good eye positioning uh, that is one of the challenges we are looking at and, and integrating that with a good head pose because most eye gaze ignore the head. And there is good reason for it because when you're looking at a screen uh, a monitor um, a small monitor around which is low, very close to you you do not tend to move your head a lot but my, if i am looking around a, at a longer distance then it is not enough to move my eyes to shift my gaze i have to move my head as well so if i want to have really uh, pervasive ubiquitous eye gaze checking something like in this room and to follow everybody's eye gaze um, then i need to have the head pose as well, and eventually even the body pose as well. And that's where we're heading at. Okay, they're getting a full um, kind of profile of the attention position of the person. Hello,
1: Um I, I, I appreciate science for science' sake. So it's, it's nice to do this project. But uh, just I thought this could sell very well to security companies. So it goes out. For example, a bank. Any robber will want to stake out the bank. Any house you want to set. Anyone wants to rob would want need to stake the house. So if you have <coughs> sensors in front of the house, and you see, you like can monitor which which people are giving great much attention, kind of to the area. So just yes. at all. Yeah, imagine
3: just 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 the house, but even more seriously in a, in a, in, a, in, a, in a in a crowded area, in a, an airport or somewhere mm-hmm. like this, where you have people who have intention that, that, that undermine the, 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 the crowd and uh, they would probably be looking at each other very often mm-hmm. and then you could pick those up yes that is an idea we have in mind but that would require uh, the unaccrued unop- and pervasive tracking within such mm-hmm. positive environment with full illumination because it, the space is not um, illuminated such that we for the computer to be able to recognize the, the eye base. so we have to handle all those problems Uh, And therefore the area, although as the gentleman said, down there, is is very much researched, is still full of problems. And only in ideal scenarios it works comfortably. We're trying to break those barriers. Sorry. I was
5: wondering (laughs) if things like eye colour affect the tracking.
3: Indeed. Daniel is our our research support officer and he can tell you very well, uh, if you have got blue eyes, orange eyes, green eyes, then you have... It's harder to track the irises, uh, and then you have to do some some tricks on the image to uh, increase the contrast between the, ir- the, uh, the iris and this clara, the white part of your eyes. That is a, a huge difficulty.
1: Our next guest was Dr. Joseph Caruana from the Institute of Space Sciences and Astronomy, who shared with us some ideas and insights about light pollution, which is unfortunately disturbing his work. Hi,
4: thank you I'm Joseph, Uh, I'm an astronomer or an astrophysicist, it depends, When, when I'm sitting on a plane and someone asks me what do you do? My answer usually depends on whether I want. I feel like talking to them or not. If I feel like talking, I'm energetic, I'm like, I'm an astronomer, Ooh. If I feel like I'm tired, I don't feel up for it, I'm an astrophysicist, oh, okay, right, and they just... Uh, so, um, so today I'm not going to talk about astronomy as such. I'm going to, to be talking about something that affects astronomy and other things. It's light pollution. Um, it's the bane of astronomy, right? And um, I wasn't allowed a computer, so I brought a prop. This dangerous-looking substance is water with some milk um, uh, mixed in with it. And the problem of light pollution is that somewhere I had another prop. This is sorry, I'm, I might blind you with this. It's my one of my diving torches. It's very bright, though, right? So now that's 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 not an issue if you shine it through a vacuum, right? The light just goes up and and it's lost. But if I do the same thing through this, you can see that the bottle is now glowing. And it glows very white or bluish um, at the bottom. And it goes towards the yellow, red, or orange towards the top, right? And that's what happens. It's already getting hot. It shouldn't be lit uh, unless it's underwater. Um, So and that's the problem with our atmosphere, right? When you shine light, light is hitting these particles in the atmosphere, be it Molecular particles or aerosols, so dust particles, et etc. And it scatters back. And you have something like what you saw here, basically now. That affects many different things. It affects astronomy, it affects wildlife we are already uh, realizing more and more that it affects things like share water, so bird species that nest around cliffs in Malta and Gozo. Uh, we have a very good colony in Gozo near Dwayra, for example. Um, and they get disorientated by, by, uh, by light pollution. It affects fireflies. It affects migration patterns. There, there are a number of things that can affect. It also affects human health, um, uh, so light. Comes, light pollution comes in three main forms. There's this thing that I showed you here. That's, we call it sky glow. Then there's the other thing, which is when I, and again, sorry for this, if I were to do this at you. So that's, that's called glare. Um, glare is like when you have someone right, driving up um, uh, in front of you with bright lights on. Um, and it's actually, I mean, one of the arguments that's made to keep the lights on all night is because of security reasons, right? Studies are showing us, actually, light when it's not properly designed it can be a security hazard because it, 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 it creates shadows areas of deep shadows in in tandem with uh, areas of, of illumination and the third problem is light trespass meaning that light um, uh, basically trespasses where it shouldn't, like people's homes and this has been to health, linked to health there are issues with for example types of cancer that are being studied right now, the the issue between them and and light. It suppresses melatonin, it appears, a hormone that makes us go to sleep. So it shifts our uh, sleeping cycle and other problems. Now, in Malta and Gozo, the problem is very problematic. We've been doing a, a, uh, well, the issue is very problematic. We've done a study over the past three years. We've mapped the entire archipelago Malta, Gozo, and Comino in tiny, tiny grids. So we've measured the sky brightness all over the archipelago twice. Um, and the, the, the picture is looking quite grim in terms of, of light pollution. Um, you'll see the results soon. We're, we're polishing them off now. Um, as, as, as Well, not as I speak, but today we were polishing them off. Um, so it's actually quite, quite problematic. But we have a number of sites in Gozo and Comino, designated sites, called dark sky heritage areas. These are coastal sites which are deemed to be sufficiently dark uh, that one can do astronomy there that you won't affect nocturnal life so much Um, and these are the areas that at the moment we're really trying hard well to preserve basically to conserve and hopefully we'll manage one of them the prime jewel of them all we could say is Dwayra which unfortunately I've been battling about for years now Um, uh, uh, I wasn't allowed a computer but (laughs) I brought a tablet instead. Um, so <laughs> no, I only meant to show you a picture because this, is, this really brings the problem home. So that's a picture from Dueira, not a telescope picture. It's just one single exposure with a camera. That's the same photo from, an, from another village in Gozo, right? Exactly the same settings, exactly the same camera. And you can see what difference light pollution is making, right? It's like a veil that you pull. Uh,
0: exactly at
4: the same time. Um, it was taken on two separate days where I was basi- basically monitoring the humidity levels and everything to make sure that all other conditions were, were the same. Uh, it wasn't on the exact same day, but the conditions were the same in terms of humidity levels and, and so on, right? Um, so. DUERA, as you know, we've, we've got a, a court case going on now. Um, it's not the only problem, though. I mean, it, it, it extends beyond Dwera. We really need to conserve the other parts as well. And it is up to you, each and every one of you, to spread the word. Light pollution is not as well-known a problem because it's been, well, I, I don't want to say recent, recently discovered, but it's been investigated more fully in recent times. Um, It's not as well known. Um, So it's up to each and everyone to spread the word about it. Um, In particular, make the effort to even look at your own homes, streets, and so on, Put pressure on your local councils where they are installing bulbs like these globe lights, sending light everywhere you know put pressure on them like why why there are properly designed lighting fixtures that you can use these days that illuminate the ground put those in okay so it's up to each and every one of us um, it is an instantly reversible problem unlike other Environmental problems with pollution. Once you switch off the light or lower the light or or you put a curfew, you've solved the problem. Um, I haven't linked this to the theme of love, which was the theme of the magazine, but I think it's fair to say that um, many a romantic evening were uh, commenced under the stars. So I think uh, it somehow fits the the theme nicely. Okay, I'll stop there. So now I can step back.
1: The magazine has a dedicated student section where students of the University of Malta discuss various topics that emerge from their own independent research. Our last speaker is Gail Sand from the Department of Biology, who studied some very special fish.
5: We live in a world where the eco movement takes up a big part of our social media feed. Um, Large companies and governments continuously greenwash phrases like climate change and sustainability. Uh, And for the rest of us it can be a bit overwhelming. You scroll on Instagram and you immediately find out that the Amazon is burning the coral reefs are dying out and something sad is probably happening to the blue whales somewhere. Um, So with an environmental crisis happening at every corner of the world it's difficult to know where to care and difficult to keep up with what's going on. (coughs) I was born in a family that Always prioritized hiking in winter and snorkeling in summer. So I've always had a biased love towards nature. Uh, I studied biology at the University of Malta, and for my dissertation work, uh, I focused on skates. I think it's safe to assume that many of you aren't aware of what skates are, since if you Google it, Google itself will tell you that skates are a very rare species of shoes with wheels. It's bad, I know. Skates are sharks' cousins. They are very similar to stingrays, um, with a few morphological differences. Um, so they're not as popular as stingrays. Some people would say that they're not as pretty as stingrays. I beg to differ. Uh, I studied two species, the thornback ray and the spotted ray skate. Sorry, not ray skate, <laughs> spotted skate. Um, and through my dissertation work, I found out that the identification guides, which are meant to distinguish the two species apart, don't do so um, very effectively. In fact, in fact, I found out that the guides are actually quite useless. This is quite worrying when you think about the fact that there are studies currently going on about these, these species. And um, if there's no formal way of telling which species is which, how do you know if the, the, the research findings are actually reliable? You can read more about that on my article on Think. Today I'd like to discuss something that's a bit different. Um, my dissertation work made me question a lot of things. It made me realize that there's a lot of fake science and you really have to be careful about your sources. It also make, made me realize the general environmental movement. Why is it that I, a Maltese biology student, was so aware about the Sumatran orangutan's population status, threat, ecology in Indonesia, and yet was so unaware about the Maltese skate, a local endemic species, which is currently critically endangered. Um, When people ask me about what I want to do with my life, I jokingly say that I want to save the world and stop climate change. Realistically, um, I might be able to help out in a few environmental movements as my career progresses, but I have to be very cautious about where I dedicate my energy. And I think that this is something that everyone should do. On one hand, I know that it is important for us to um, have a general idea of what's going on around us, and be aware of all the issues that are going on around the world. But wouldn't it make more sense for us to share posts on Facebook about the local issues to our local Facebook friends, rather than to, post, to share posts about how the melting ice caps are killing the polar bears? I know that whether you like it or hated, social media does have a big impact on our society. Um, and I'm not saying that by sharing a Facebook post, you'll automatically be, be the next Greta Thunberg. But social media, through social media, we have managed to do things like, say, collect around 20, over 20,000 euros in one day against the central link project. So it does have a very big impact. So what I wanted to discuss with you today is uh, do you think that our social media presence should be focused more on local issues? Do you think that the international issues are just as important? Or do you think that people share these types of posts just for entertainment's sake and for the sake of being um, environmentally fashionable? Thank you. Um, I was wondering, is it also because we tend to think that other species like polar bears are more charismatic than a little fish in the sea? Yes, for sure. I mean, deep sea creatures don't really get a lot of attention since obviously they're, well, I mean, polar bears are very hard to reach as well, as
4: I'm saying. Uh,
1: Please do join next time. You can find out about our next events at ThinkUM on Facebook, ThinkUni on Instagram or ThinkUni Malta on Twitter. Rethink is produced by Think Magazine in collaboration with Campus FM. Our theme music is by Princess Wonderful. You can find a link to her profile in the show notes. Your hosts are Daivara Peczkajte
0: and Chris Stiles. This brings us to the end of our podcast first season. I hope you enjoyed your time with us. And before we meet again, find us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening and bye for now.